Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Monday, April the 10th, 2023. It's an old question that writers, particularly fiction writers, but non-fiction writers are also intrigued with. Um, at what point do our lives author us? And uh, at what point are we ourselves authored by our lives? Uh, this question came to me over the weekend. I have a couple of interesting pieces in the, um, the relationship section of the Guardian newspaper online. I have to admit, I sometimes browse that. One, uh, one piece that was very popular over the weekend was from a, a letter from a 70-year-old woman um, who regrets her life. Uh, she feels that she made a massively uh, mi a, a massive mistake early in her life, marrying her husband, and it's made her miserable all her life. In contrast, there was another piece on um, relationships, which is about two people who had a romance when they were young, spent many years apart, and became reacquainted and uh, deepened their love affair and now appear very happy. So the second story is one of people who seem to have managed their life, authored their life. And the first is of a woman who I think feels as if someone else is authoring them. This subject of whether or not we author our lives is the subject in many ways of a new uh, work of fiction by my guest today, Juliet Fay. The half of it, Juliet, is a, a very well-known and successful uh, novelist. I think this is her seventh novel, and she's speaking to us from her home in uh, Wayland, Massachusetts, just outside Boston. Um, Juliet, are you like me? Do you sometimes end up browsing the personals and relationship section of The Guardian or other online newspapers for material? Yeah, not not so much The Guardian, but um, I read the Boston Globe and I read the New York Times and I'm always fascinated by um, the articles that are, are a little more personal um, about how people live their lives. It's it's definitely uh, been a fascination for me. Yeah, it's interesting. This piece, uh, the I don't know if she's a therapist or the the counselor in charge of the side who responds to these letters suggests that the woman who regretted her choice of husband is the kind of person who has a history of regret. Uh, do you think that's true? Do you think in many ways we're sort of shaped? We, 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 we are determined beforehand in terms of whether or not we regret choices or make the most of choices that may not be ideal, but have a good side. You know, I think that some of us um, are a little more hesitant to sort of make wholesale changes I think we all get in ruts. I think we all sometimes don't see the, the, the sort of the way we're living. We just kind of putting our heads down and putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, the main character of the, the half of it, Helen Spencer, is very much that kind of person. She's somebody who's, you know, she's a good sport. And sometimes being a good sport is not in your best interest. Um, uh, so I think some of us are a, a little more willing to kind of blow things up. And some of us um, are a little more hesitant to do that, for sure. To you take describe, that step. Describe the heroine of your of your new novel, the half of it, as a good sport. What, what do you mean by that? 
Well, you know, things have happened to her um, and she has made decisions. Um, she sees her role in the in the decisions she's made in her life. And, you know, she wants to be uh, someone who's responsible and it doesn't just, you know, sort of, you know, blow the whole thing off and, and go do something else. She, you know, she's she's made she's made her bed. I think she feels. Um, and I think it's it's hard for people to sometimes get out of that bed and choose a choose a different life. The making of a bed is, I guess, um, a sad conclusion to, to make about one's life, particularly in a country like America, where we're promised that we can always invent and reinvent ourselves. Is the die ever really cast, Julia, do you think, with people's <laughs> lives? Or um, do we always have the chance of, shall we say, unmaking the bed or moving to another bed or sleeping on the settee or even the floor? You know, that is the question. And um, I and I think it's a good one. Um, I you know I'm somebody who believes that you can always make things better till your last breath, um, and that doesn't mean blowing up the situation. But I think if you if you find yourself in a situation, I mean that the story that you bring up the 70 year old woman who who looks back with such terrible regret. Um, I don't think that's actually a photo for people watching. There's a very sad looking 70 year old woman sad. looking. <laughs> into the distance. I don't actually think that's yeah. her, but they found a photo. Right, right. Oh, it's a wonderful photo. It really describes it. But um, I think that it's um, it, it, it's a terrible thing to look back on your life and go, wow, I kind of blew it. Um, it's worse yeah, we all have regrets. Too, yeah, I mean, it's 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 tragic that, that you've run the race and then you realize you shouldn't have been in that race. You should have right. been doing something else. Should have been somewhere else. Why is this such an intriguing subject for a novelist like yourself? Um, well, I think, you know, we're always doing sort of character studies in our head. And the thing that really prompted me to start thinking about this um, in terms of a novel was the pandemic. Um, so one of the things that really intrigued me was um, that whole way in which people were taking this sort of pause in social interaction to take stock and to review and to ask themselves questions like, is this the person I'm really supposed to be with? Is this the job I should be in? You know, should I move closer to my family? Should I move further away from my family? You know, that whole sort of umbrella of am I happy? And people seem to be really looking at that and, you know, uh, not right away because everybody's a little freaked out and didn't want to make any sudden moves. But pretty quickly, people started quitting their jobs. You know, we had the great, great resignation. Um, and so it was that that made me think, what if you did get to be sort of later in life? Um, Helen Spencer's 58 years old, not the end of her life by any means, but not the beginning either. And she is reviewing and saying, wow, I, I did not make, I made some bad choices. Um, and she can really um, sort of trace it back to where everything started going slightly south um, to a night that she spent in the woods in high school 40 years ago with a boy that she loved who loved her. But the next day, things kind of blew up. Things went wrong, and they've been going a little bit wrong ever since. Juliet, do, we, do you think we all have alternative narratives? Uh, I was looking at your bio. You were a cute little girl, and uh, you seem <laughs> to have had a very happy life. You married Tom Fay, and you seem very happy. Uh, at least that's what you advertise on your website. I assume you have regrets, alternative narratives. Things might have turned out slightly differently, you're a very successful novelist, happy mother and wife, but we all have regrets, don't we? 
I think we all have regrets. I think we all have done stupid things. I think we've all made bad choices. Maybe they resulted in a terrible marriage that you stuck with for 30 years, or maybe they were just a, you know, one bad dumb thing that sort of, you know, petered out, but it's the ripples of that one thing that happened that then can reverberate through your life that really interested me um, in this way. And, you know, the fact of the matter is I am a happy person. This story is not about me. I love my husband. I love my kids. I love my work. Um, I don't, I don't wish for a different life. Do I think my life could have turned out differently in a million different ways? Because I really do think that even some very small things, small decision you make or a small decision somebody else makes, or it was raining that day. And so you didn't go to the whatever can really um, put you on a different trajectory. There's something, though, about marriage, Juliet, as an institution that's so problematic and at the same time full of potential. This woman regrets getting married. She left her husband, then went back. Um, marriage is a tricky thing, though. We, we make a choice. Some of us don't really make choices. We fall into it in our 20s right. and 30s. It determines the rest of our life. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, the heroine of your book, of, of the choices she made in her 20s and 30s. Well, um, Helen, I don't want to, you know, give you too much. Yeah, we don't want to give away too much. Right, we want everyone much. to read the book, but at the same time, we want to learn more about the book. Sure. You know, su suffice it to say, and this is pretty clear from the beginning, Helen Spencer did not marry the right guy. Um, and there were reasons she chose to marry him that seemed like good decisions at the time. Um, and she hung in there because they had kids and... And I think sometimes what happens in a relationship is it's not bad enough. It's not bad enough to say, I'm out of here like this. I can't I can't live like this. It's kind of semi OK. You know, I think I think Helen thinks of her husband as adequate, you know, not enough to leave. Um, but unfortunately, she, that your term is, is a depressing term, not bad enough is is not unusual. I'm sure you. When you're in the super, when you're in your lo local supermarket in your Boston suburb, you see the faces of women, and you probably think to yourself, "Are they in marriages which aren't quite bad enough for them to leave their husband, and yet at the same time they're miserable?" Yeah, you know, and sometimes you know, I have known one or two people who jumped out of marriages thinking I can do better than this, and and also regretted it. So, you know, you're thinking that too. Like, am I, am I being? you know, sort of um, ridiculous to say, I need to, I need something different. You know, is this, um, and I think a lot of people don't know what to expect. Is this, is this how marriage is? Is this, is this how I'm supposed to feel? And I think for Helen Spencer, she was okay. You know, she wasn't miserable. She didn't feel connected to him. Um, he wasn't a bad guy, but now that he's gone, she can look back with a little bit clearer perception and say, that, that was not where I was supposed to be. You're a novelist, of course, so you can imagine and invent characters. What about the guy? Do men and women think differently about this? Do, do, do women, do you think, are they more prone to regret, to, to, to second thoughts, to questioning their, themselves, or are men in the same business? I think men are too. I really do. And I think there are more differences um, among a gender than there are between the genders. I think there are people, you know, I think there are women who don't want to think about it. 
just want to keep plodding along. And I think there are men who are really sort of taking a look at sort of the emotional connection and saying, I, I don't feel like I'm connected enough to you. Um, I think we're getting, you know, as a society, it's becoming more and more okay for men to sort of be in touch with their feelings and say, I don't feel good about this. You know, this doesn't feel good to me and maybe do something about it. So I think, I think both sexes can do that. Should we blame the novelists, Juliet, for all this, the Juliet phase of the <laughs> world? Are you promising people too much or perhaps not enough? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, I'm a firm believer that Hollywood, I'm not going to blame the novelists, but I am going to say- Blame you know, social media, blame, uh, <laughs> right. blame Facebook. Yeah, because everything's so, you know, beautified and everything's so, you know, curated. Instagrammed. So, you know, Right. Absolutely. So and we all do it. And it's, you know, I'm not putting up the, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to post about the fight I had with my husband yesterday morning. I'm going to post about, oh, it's our anniversary, la, la, la. Um, so I think there are ways in which especially people in their 20s and 30s who are starting to look at, you know, getting into marriages, thinking like, is what's it supposed to be like? Is it supposed to be great all the time? Is it supposed to be you know, is it supposed to feel like it solved all my problems? Because trust me, it won't. Um, so, you know, I think in my novels, one of the things that I like to do is delve deep into, you know, it's not all sunshine and roses. Sometimes it's really hard. Um, and yet, you know, if you feel that you, you know, two people have something to give each other, maybe they can kind of wade through that and maybe they can grow a little um, and find and figure out what's right for them. In The Guardian, um, the online therapist suggests that studies have shown that people can be divided into two camps. People who settle for something in the ballpark and say that'll do and perfectionists. And the writer asks, guess who turns out happiest? Of course, it's the realists. Do you think there's some truth to that? Are you? I, I mean, you're in the business of entertaining and, uh, and, and intriguing rather than educating. Uh, but if you were to educate, are you trying to make people more realistic, less romantic? I I think so. You know, I don't write romance. I do have romance in a lot of my books, um, romantic situations. Um, but I think romance is a one is a wonderful way. Romance novels are a wonderful way to sort of escape. And you know, I'm nothing against them. Um, but I I think what I'm looking for is a way to say like, what are relationships really like? And um, if we can, um, if we can get a little wiser and grow a little more and, and listen a little better, can we get to a place where a, a relationship does feel good? Um, I totally agree that a lot of it is about expectations. I'm sort of fascinated by arranged marriages. I have a couple of friends who've been in arranged yeah, marriages. Yeah, it's, it's almost a sort of fashionable way now to defend them, saying, well, it's not so bad. It's, it's all a matter of luck and attitude. You said you weren't a romantic novelist. This is, I think, your seventh novel. Uh, a mm -hmm. lot of successful ones. Cat Catch Us When We Fall, City of Flickering Light, The Tumbling Turner Sisters, Shelter Me, um, Deep Down True, so, uh, and The Shortest Way Home. What, what word would you use to describe your style of novel? Are you um, just a, a mainstream novelist? If you're not romantic, 
what what word would you describe? You know, you know, this is such a great question, and and novelists talk about this all the time. You know, the genre fiction is you know historical or romantic or sci-fi or paranormal, and then there's the rest of us that are just writing contemporary fiction. You know, I think of it as sort of um, some of my books I would characterize as family drama. Um, I love writing about families. I love writing kids and older people and all kinds of stuff. So there's there's definitely family saga kind of things going on, and also relationship fiction. I you know friendships, romantic relationships, um, people that we we you know all the people we come in contact. I'm I am very interested in relationships, um, and talking about those in my book and how, you know, in some ways we can be there for each other. We can save each other. Um, and, and help each other to become better people. Not perfect, you know, not ideal, but just better. Juliet, I'm not a novelist, so I can say slightly trite things. Um, seems to me <laughs> that in, in, in one's 20s, and I've got kids in their 20s now, uh, and I've obviously been in my 20s in the past, um, we're faced with two massive decisions in our life. Firstly, who we partner with and perhaps spend the rest of our lives with. And equally difficult, perhaps even more difficult these days, is what we choose to do with our lives in terms of career. Mm -hmm. how, how does that interact in the half of it? Is there much discussion of career? Uh, is it all about romance or the absence of romance? No, it's not all about romance. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that happened to Helen when she sort of made one little decision after another was that she ended up um, in, a, in, in the kind of work that she really wasn't that interested in. And she could have found work that was better suited to her. Similarly, Cal Crosby, who's the who was the boy in the situation, yeah. he becomes a bit of a workaholic. And that has repercussions for his own family um, that he's, uh, you know, he, he work becomes sort of his drug of choice. And it's not really about what what work he's chosen. It's about the fact that he can't stop doing it. Um, and that's created uh, problems for him and his own family. So I do think that work is a really important uh, decision and something that that we all need to think about. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to land on the fact that the, the what I think is the most important decision we make is the person we choose to partner with for the duration. I think there's no more important decision than that. It, 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 it's a for me as a pair. I mean, I know you've got kids as well. It's a rather yeah. troubling conclusion, if you're right. What does it mean for a parent? Should they interfere in their children's decision? Well, interfere sounds like it's probably not a good idea, right? But weigh not in. To interfere, but actually yeah. interfere because kids are pretty smart on these sorts of things. Sure, and even if you're not weighing in or you're not interfering, your reaction—you know—our kids know us so well. I have all my kids are in their twenties too, and they have partners, some of them, and you know, they they can sense when I'm, you know, my really warm, you know, sort of engaging self and when I'm a little hesitant about somebody. So I think I think they pick up on those clues anyway. Um, certainly if I thought one of my kids was marrying somebody who was going to be abusive or really problematic in one way or another, I would feel the need to say, hey, I'm a little concerned about this. Um, that being said, you know, as I say to them often, you're adults now. <laughs> um, and 
you know, your life is up to you. The last thing you want to do is shape your children's, puts you in a very vulnerable situation as a parent if you give them advice and they take it and then they're miserable. Let, let's uh, yeah. talk also about that second piece about the in the Guardian about relationships about two people who were uh, young lovers and then they didn't talk for thirty years and then they reconnected and seemed particularly happy. It, it, it's of course a, a romantic trope. I'm sure it's attractive to writers like yourself or certainly more conventional uh, r- romance novelists. Is there something in it, though, Juliet? Do you think if we meet someone after 30 or 40 years, even if in many ways we're different people, um, the potential for a meaningful relationship is better? You know, that's a really interesting question. And, you know, you call it a trope and you and then you're correct. It is a trope. But there's a reason that tropes are tropes. And that's because people are fascinated by them. And it's because there's something to them. There's some energy. There's some fire there. Um, I do think there's something about um, knowing someone who uh, way back when who knew you in high school or knew you when you were younger um, and then circling back and finding how finding out how they turned out and having some background in common, even though you haven't been together for the past 20 years or 30 or 40 years. um, I think there's something really um, sort of electrifying about that. Um, that Sorry, go on. Maybe you find out that, you know, oh, you know, this was cool for a couple of dates. And now I'm like, yeah, that was that's enough. Um, But I think there's a way in which um, there's something very appealing about doing it. And you might date somebody. You might agree to go on a date with somebody that you knew way back when, when maybe if you just met them, you'd be like, "Mm, not that interested. But there's also something intriguingly contextual about it, because it presents an alternative life that you didn't choose and you can never have, but gives context to your current life too. Sure. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, I think we all consider the roads not taken. Um, And hopefully we're, we're pretty happy on the path we're on and we can see those other paths and think, well, maybe I would have been happy there too, but this one's working out all right. Um, But if you are having questions about that, and you reconnect with somebody that maybe you could have been with all this time. It's, it's pretty interesting stuff. If, if regret could smell, it would be a bad smell. It would be very yeah. sour. Yeah. What, what would you advise people to, to do? I mean, you're not a, a counselor, but I, I'm, I'm no. curious as someone who's given a lot of thought to this too, this uh, fictional or otherwise 70 year old who's so full of regret. Can one get beyond it? I think I think people can do anything they decide to do. Now, it's not going to be easy. And I think you're going to need some help with it. You know, maybe you're going to need some counseling or you're going to need to talk to people who know you well, who might say, you know, you've been unhappy for a long time, you know, or they might say, this is very different from you. I'm not I'm hearing something very, really new from you. I think it's it's always important to get feedback. But I also think that if you if you're trying to make a better life for yourself because you're truly, truly unhappy, there are definitely ways to do that, you know, and you should, you should try. Why, why, why be unhappy when, when there are avenues to sort of improve things? It's interesting. You, you mentioned the therapist um, at the end of the Guardian piece, they suggested two 
fixes. One, go to a therapist. And the second, they recommended the reading of a book by Barry Schwartz called The Paradox of Choice, which was a very popular book back in 2007 and 8. Actually, Barry Schwartz was on this show many years ago. Is there a paradox of, of I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book, Juliet, but is there a paradox of choice, do you think? In many ways, we're given, and, and this perhaps comes back to your point about arranged marriages. I mean, of course, there's the paradox of choice in the supermarket where we're confronted with a choice of 20 different toothpastes, which all seem right. the same. But what about when it comes to, to, to romance? Is there a paradox of choice? Well, I haven't read the book, so I'm not 100% sure. Book. I think you would enjoy it. It sounds fascinating. It's a classic of its type. Yeah, I would, I would like to read that. Um, I think what you're talking about is the fact that there are so many options that we become paralyzed by, you know, as opposed to growing up 100 years ago, where you're going to marry, you know, the boy down the street, or you're going to marry somebody in your town. And, um, you know, you weren't likely to marry somebody who was very different from you or very with a very different background or, you know, even a different faith or, you know, you know sort of just similar values, similar expectations. And I think so much of it is about expectations. And now, you know, we have all these apps and you can be meeting people all over the world. And, and, you know, the more that I talk to, you know, my kids have been on, you know, hinge and whatever. And it's like, you know, flick, 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 you know, there's just like, it's, it is overwhelming and exhausting. And I think there's a way, you know, I mean, They've said that, you know, these this younger generation, I think it's Gen Z, is the loneliest generation ever. And they have the most options ever for meeting people. Um, that is quite a paradox. Um, and I think that we will see a change away from sort of social media ways of meeting people um, just because they're starting to recognize that they are so lonely. And being online is not the only way to meet people. It's not a terrible way. I'm not against it. It's just there's got to be other things than just flicking, you know. On, on novelists themselves, um, Juliet, are they vulnerable to the paradox of choice? Do you sometimes regret books not written? Oh, not so much books not written, but I don't know any author who doesn't like isn't a little afraid to go back and look at past books and go, "Ooh, I could have done something different there." I, I, you know, I mean, we you wake up in the middle of the night and you think, "Oh, I, I, I could have said this, or I could have," you know. Um, and so, certainly, if that's what you're saying, yeah, certainly, I think. Well, I mean, well, plot driven. Why? I mean, you, 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 you're probably your your work is less plot driven than than some books, but. Do you, some, do you think that novelists are sometimes, I mean, after all, you, 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 as a novelist, the plots are infinite. You can choose yes. what happens and how it begins right. and how it ends. Right. I think most novelists have a way that they think about things. Like one of the things I, I'm, I, I'm sort of right out there about is I love redemption. I love things are going to get a little bit better. I I don't really enjoy reading books. You know, I always joke about this where everybody's dead or in jail at the end. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to feel like I need to just go lie down somewhere and never get up after I finish a book. So the kinds of plots that I'm attracted to and that I want to spend, you know, you when you're reading, writing a novel, you could be spending a year, two years, three years on with the same characters and the same plot and the same setting and all of that. Um, you have to really feel it. 
Um, and so I think authors sort of, they tune in. I certainly see this with my friends who are authors. What, what, what grabs them, what really ignites them as an author is sort of the way, the kinds of stories they're going to write. Um, that doesn't mean you have to write all the same. You know, I've written contemporary, I've written historical. I mean, you know, um, but um, I think we gravitate towards certain kinds of stories as authors. Not only as authors, I think, final question, Juliet, but as readers. And of course, uh, the original settlers in your part of the woods, uh, your neck of the woods, uh, New England, were all religious settlers, very much of a religious foundation for your world, although it's probably less so these days than it was. Um, is the disappearance of religion, at least at the center of life, does that add to the half of it in terms of people being so regretful of lives which historically might have been made sense of in terms of some sort of uh, metaphysical design? You know, I, I think it's that's a fascinating subject. And certainly the world has become more secular and there's less of that, you know, sort of prescribed, this is how you live. Um, and I do think that that is... Um, has been problematic for some people, not that religion hasn't also been problematic in ways. Um, but I think that sense of a community where it's sort of, we agree on sort of how to, what the, what the goals are, you know, and sort of what the best ways to, to live our lives are. And that, that weekly reminder of like, here's, here's what, here's what we're aiming for to be good people and to be, um, to be, uh, you know, I had my I have a son who's a philosopher and he said, you know, we were talking about religion and and he said, you know, basically um, all religions, the basic basis of all religion is don't be a jerk. And, you know, I think people are finding other ways not to be jerks and to be good people and to want to be good people in the world. Um, and 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 there are other kinds of communities that are sort of cropping up in the place of, you know, sort of taking over for where religion has sort of fallen off. But it's it's a fascinating thing. Um, but religion but it, does offer, I mean, especially traditional Christian religion offers a second chance yes, uh, after death true. and suggests that this is only the first chapter in a, perhaps an endless book, whereas these days, not everyone, but many of us believe that we just get one chance and that's it. Right. Well, I would say that, you know, either way, you should probably make the best of it here because you don't know what's going on afterwards. So, um better to try and, and be as good of a person, make good choices, you know, now um, without sort of relying on, oh, well, I'll just, you know, go to and What's the best choice It'll people can make this week, Juliet? Read your book, right? Go and buy it. Yes, a please. <laughs> just out. It's out tomorrow. It's going to be another tomorrow. big success from Juliet Faye. Congratulations on the book, Juliet. And we'll talk again in the not too distant future. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I really loved your questions.